welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Welcome everyone to another DIFF podcast. This one's quite special because it's a trailblazer review where we are bringing back two outstanding contributors to our podcast. In fact, the the very first one, Trailblazers both. We're bringing back to chat Richard Guppy, Director of Membership at Paradigm, and Dina Budia, CEO of P2M. Now, Richard, in his podcast, was talking about starting in a harsh banking environment when he was black, telling us about being called the N-word in Dartford, and being told that being a black person, he'd never get above level four. But he has moved through the corporate distribution world with great success, and now is at Paradigm as Director of Membership. And the wondrous Dina Budia was the top mortgage performer at the then Abbey National, but saw no further career paths available, especially for a returning mum, and took the leap, started her own business, and whilst initially disappointed with the support from local businessmen, soon became a hugely successful advisor and building a team around her. She was so successful, she managed to fulfill the dream of buying an Aston Martin, but was shocked that many male clientele didn't like to see a successful businesswoman and rarely, if ever, drives it, which is a shame. But anyway, that was in 2021, which was a world away, really, in terms of lockdowns and all these other things. So, Richard, since then, DIFF has been going. We've got initiatives from Amy and Imbler and stuff. Do you think the world's a different place, a better place or the same. Hi, Barrett, and hi, uh, Dina. I'm delighted to join both of you on this podcast today. Has it changed? I believe it has. You know, when I was two years since we had our first conversation on DNI, and I really do believe as an industry, we have come a long way since then. I think the journey isn't over. (laughs) Still a long way to go, but 100% we have seen improvements. And from your personal perspective, have you seen attitudes, conversations, awareness is changing your life and your interactions with people? Are people more open now to discuss things that were deemed to be too sensitive earlier? Yeah, I think my personal situation has changed first, was, as we discussed. So I'm definitely working at Paranine Mortgage Club, which was a great opportunity for me. And just giving a little push, but it's the only club that gives unconditionally brokers a 50% rebate for every mortgage they give us. However... I was approached by Bob for his opportunity as director of membership. And Bob has spoken to me a few times in the past, but I felt this time there's a right opportunity. And Bob had always spoken to me about he'd love me to come and work for him. And I always believed that he was very diverse in his ideas for the future of Paradigm Mortgage Club and our broker partners. And I really wanted to be a part of that. And that's why I took that jump. What I also think is that I've seen 
more and more people feeling more and more comfortable in coming out and talking about the changes. And in particular, I think DIF has actually encouraged that. So my thoughts on DNI really remain the same. We still need more change, but we have made significant improvements. And I think that really does need to be acknowledged. And what I am seeing is definitely more females getting jobs at senior levels and people of colour as well. I think the one thing where I think it's still difficult for me to identify if we've made improvements in these other areas will be other DNI areas, as in LBGTQ+. And I think that is one where we do need to assess whether there's been further opportunities across the industry. And Dina, I know you've got a great story to tell, but since you've become involved in DIFF, your presence in the industry, your standing in the industry has been amazing. And I think you sent me a lovely email telling me that you finally feel that you've got a voice. Do you want to just talk us through what's happened to you since you started being involved in DIFF and how that's made you feel and what you think you've achieved with yourself, within yourself? Yeah, sure. I definitely mirror what Richard has just said. But on a personal note, for me, sort of coming from a sort of smaller broker business, should I say, it's very insular. And I I feel that I've really now found my family and my voice where people around me really want to know me as an individual, my journey, my story, and actually really encouraging me to speak. I think I said it to you directly, Barra. It's actually been quite a mental health journey for me. Diff has because all the suppression that I've had historically in not being able to fit in or feel that I can fit in or even being heard, I feel that all these things are actually happening to me now. And the encouragement I'm getting from industry peers, um, both from corporate and individual, is phenomenal. And, you know, Amy, the Working in Mortgage Task Force, Diff, all these platforms have allowed me to, I suppose, come to the forefront and have the want to speak and encourage others around me to also build their confidence to tell their story. That's fantastic to hear. And I think it's great that you find the time to do that. And I think encouraging other women, because again, you're a great example of intersectionality. And we've talked about that because if it's difficult, if you're a male person from a sort of non-white background, it's doubly, maybe quadruply difficult if you're a woman. And that still holds true. I also think sort of like some of the work that we've done on menopause in particular, and you've been very vocal about that, has also been good. Do you think that side of things, the menopause, perimenopause work that we've done and and the stuff that you've actually voiced on LinkedIn and other platforms, that's come a long way? Absolutely. I think, again, if you come from all the different intersectionalities when it comes to DNI, you've got quadruple challenges, as you said. And for a woman, um, to a degree, your physical cycle of your career is limited and you're changing as an individual without actually having control. And the perimenopause sessions that we've had has not only been eye-opening for the ladies in the in the industry or the crowd, but also the men. It's been phenomenal how just day-to-day conversations of what we should be having either with our partners or our peers, we actually feel a bit more comfortable in talking about. And as employers, we're acknowledging how we should be equipped with the right tools to grow our teams and also the effect it has on us. So I've been quite open about it, not only with my team, but also, as you said, on social media platforms, which is quite difficult because it's quite intimate stories that we are actually putting out there. But the feedback I've had has has actually been phenomenal, that people really can 
relate. And has that feedback been from men and women, Dina? Yes, I think the, the men have been more in terms of growing my confidence and actually saying, good on you, Dina, you know, we need to hear more of it. And it's been so welcoming. And the ladies have been more, I wish I could speak. I really understand where you're coming from. Oh, I really think that, you know, I, I, I want to say something. And then it's been me sort of subconsciously mentoring and say, well, say it do it you're actually helping someone out there and you don't actually know and I suppose that's the journey I've been through Barrett I've not realized the people I've actually been inspiring by just telling my story it's only when they sort of approach me that you think oh my god I've actually made such a big difference and again one thing that seems to come through nearly all the podcasts we've done is everybody makes a difference to one person and that transforms the way that they behave the way they act that sometimes even their life I mean again Coming back to you, Richard, I remember you saying that there were a couple of people that really seemed to take a chance on you and gave you your big break. And I know we've been talking about you being so much more focused on how you recruit your team now than was happening maybe even two, three years ago. Would that be the case? Yeah, just quickly touching on that menopause and the perimenopause, because I was at that diff event. And I can't remember the lady's name who spoke, but what I will say, it was really powerful. And I actually got her to speak to my wife, believe it or not. My wife certainly wouldn't mind me saying this because I saw and listened to some of the things that she said and she spoke to my wife. And it's definitely made a difference in my mind and for my wife in what she told her she should be doing because things like that, just for me listening from a man and, and seeing it, I think people need to remember it isn't just about the females, the males seeing it, and actually then it makes us think differently. So for me, it was it was really powerful. But yeah, when we start talking about change, it's clear, in my opinion, right, Barrett, that you know, a balanced and diverse workforce really is good for businesses, customers, culture of a company, and, and the profitability as well. And I've been a great believer in ensuring, that as I've started to bring people on, that I'm looking to give them a real opportunity. And and I'm giving people an opportunity, I believe, that never had that previously. So I've actually recruited every single person. And everyone I've recruited, I've said to them very clearly, I believe in them 100%. But one of the other things, like coming into a new company, there were people who were there before. So you can't then leave those people behind. And for me, it was actually looking at opportunities for those guys as well and actually giving them the 100% support and belief in their abilities and allowing them to grow into new roles that have been created. But I think that the key thing is I got an opportunity and I think others saw something in me and I've done exactly the same for those people. And the, the key thing is that you have to give people that opportunity but also the time to develop as well. And one of the other things that I've found that has happened to me is that I've had people contacting me for advice on their careers, although not being a mentor in the true sense of the words. So I know like Rob Gill is a true mentor and I know we're looking at that, but I have looked to support and encourage and guide people where they've come to me for advice. And I think why people have come to me is because they've seen that I've done things in the industry, they've seen that I've gone, and they want to know how and why, and they want me to share that knowledge with them, which I'm always really happy to do. I think that's great, Richard, and it's Lucinda Pincott is the name of the lady who did the menopause, and it is one of our big, big successes. This is, I know of over 30 companies that have introduced the word perimenopause into their menopause policy, and looking at the number of women that some of these big companies employ, it's tens of thousands of women are now 
in a better place because of some of the stuff we've done, which is great. But I, I think we could chat more about the mentoring, and I know we're doing quite a lot of stuff with Amy on the mentoring shape. But I think just being there for someone to be able to come to for advice, I think that's really important because it doesn't have to be a strict mentor-mentee relationship. We're going to meet every week, do this. Sometimes allyship is just a few words or an email or a WhatsApp of encouragement. And I think that everybody should be happy to reach out to anybody involved in DIFF and ask for sort of advice or perspective. Is that something that you do, Dino? I'm sure you do it naturally, but do you think that sort of sums up how available we should all be? hundred percent. I mean, I've just had a, a live example only a few weeks ago. I was a speaker on one of your fishbowl events, actually, Barra. And because of the statistics that were shared at the event, it was, I felt it, I lived it, I've seen it. And it was quite heart-wrenching for me when, you know, I, it was sort of in front of me, the screen pretty much said to me, in executive leadership roles, there's only 1% of ethnic minority women. So I was being quite optimistic, actually, Barrett. I thought I'd give it about 3%, but it was actually 1%. And then we all went off for a tea break, and I was ready to come back for the moment of me being in this fishbowl. And I actually, my anxiety levels, Barrett, they had just shot out the roof, and I ended up having a meltdown, and I, I ended up running to the ladies, actually having a very tearful moment, and it was Christine. Christine Yule, who works with me, my colleague, yes. Oh, my God. She has been... The only woman that approached me at the first ever DIFF event, and you know, Richard, she said to me something that really touched my heart And because I said, I'm different here. I don't feel that I'm part of this. You know, there's no brokers here. They're all big shot corporate managing directors of big banks. And you know what she said to me? She said to me, Dina, see it as your duty. See it as if you are giving back to the industry you love. It's because of those words that resonate with me nearly two and a bit years ago that I have continued to be here and love what I do. And it was her who actually only last week or a week ago, she literally got me my tissue and she said, Dina, you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. And the lives you're going to change is going to be immense. And she was literally sitting right in front of me. And just those eyes looking at me were like my strength, you know. So Barrett, 100%. The feedback on what you said, because I wasn't there, has been awesome. So well done. And actually, you know, well done to Christine. Yes, uh, absolutely. And you know what, Dina? And I was there on the, the first one that you did, okay? And I thought that all the people who had done them were really... I thought sent such powerful messages out about their lives and they were opening up their souls to everyone. And I think Amanda Bryden, listening to Amanda, oh my God, listen to her, what she'd gone through and to where she is now, I think it's fabulous. And in that first diff podcast I did, I did it with Esther and it was Esther that gave her her opportunity now. And I look at it and I think, who trusted her? She could see her ability and her talent and just gone for it. And that, for me, is what it's all about. Esther has got there and she's given someone else an opportunity. I just wanted to ask you a quick question, Richard. So I've noticed the people who have been through it, lived it, seen it and actually breathe it are possibly the ones who are creating the opportunities. Am I fair to say that? So there's a mixture of that. Yes, those are the people who want to do it, but you still need those allies to actually help you because we weren't there in the first place at that level. So you definitely need people who believe in it as well and want to do that. But what you'll find, the ones who believed in it before and when they get there, 
I think the majority of the time you then want to help others get there and improve. And I look at my own team, like our mortgage help desk team was 100% male. It's now 50-50 and the manager's a female. The take people I've brought into the relationship team, female, male, one of colour. And it wasn't that I was actually thinking that they had to be that. It was just naturally thinking, I'm just trying to get the balance of the team right. And sometimes getting the balance of the team right is just getting a feel for who'd actually work really well together. And, and that's what we've actually got paradigm, to be honest with you. Indeed. And I think I remember when I was speaking to Damien Thompson, who did a great podcast with me, and he just said, when you recruit somebody, you shouldn't recruit them for just the job. You should recruit them for the team. Otherwise, you're in danger of getting 11 goalkeepers, which would be great for Chelsea. It'd be better than what you're doing. (laughs) You know what? I really believe it's a journey that we all go on. And someone needs you to believe in them. And someone believed in me and gave me my opportunity. And that's what I tried to do and give back. Essentially, it's just passing it forward, isn't it? Which is a phrase I particularly like. So... What sort of, in your head, is the next sort of logical step? What would you like to see, Dina? Would you like to see a female chief executive from a a sort of ethnically diverse background? Would that be your sort of benchmark of, hey, that's the next step, we're now going forward? Or would it be just more people from underrepresented groups at something like the BMA, that kind of thing. So what is it that you two would feel would be something that we should be driving towards over the next couple of years? If I look at the BMAs, I think when I first started going to the BMAs, it was very male-dominated. Now you're seeing it. There's more females there. There's more people of colour there as well. I remember one of the pictures that was taken was me with Sydney and Dom and I think it was Rob Gill. And you look at it and you think, a few years ago, you wouldn't have seen that many. And also, I think, that whole George Floyd moment has actually brought people together. And you actually start seeing more people there at these events. And all I really want to see, for me, is more opportunity being given to people, whether it be female, whether it be people of colour, and whether it be with sexual preference as well. And disability. It's really important that we try and give all those people those opportunities. And actually seeing people like those at, at events as well and in higher positions. And it's up to every CEO, up to every person, recruiting manager to do that. And that could be, yet again, I think I said it the last time, it's which companies are you using to do your recruitment? And if you've got a company that isn't working for you and isn't giving you a diverse pool, then go and find one that does or talk to other people about who they're using. If you're seeing another company that's doing it and doing it well, ask them how they're getting people in and what path are they using to get these people in? Dina, so what would you like to be seeing? What would be on your sort of, yeah, that makes me feel good? I think one of them is definitely trying to nudge that 1% and actually seeing the first or few women CEOs or executive board levels coming from an ethnic minority background. I think there's a long way, but even a shift in the right direction is going to be fantastic. The next thing I would say is consciously trying to recruit or find those key gems that are not necessarily from the Oxford, Cambridge or university background. And this industry is full of amazing people who have not necessarily done degrees. So there is roots into the industry. So I think we as industry leaders need to consciously think, well, actually, the nation is full of 
pockets of areas that we need to go and find and find those young generation that are the next mortgage advisors from diverse backgrounds who can make real changes rather than this profession being a default profession. And I'm talking about the broker side of things. There's very few of us from a teenage age thought, yes, I'm going to become a mortgage broker or financial advisor. We want to be treated as professionals and it should be up there with the accountants, lawyers, all these other professionals that are at the same level as us. So that, that's on a personal perspective what I would like to see. Yeah, I mean, I think I have to agree with you. And I, I certainly think from the South Asian communities out there, there is too much of a fixed idea of people being happier with their son or daughter being a solicitor, but working in some kind of conveyancing factory, earning 30, 40 grand a year, rather than being a mortgage advisor with a client base, a happier life and earning 300 grand a year. So there's got to be sort of, it's down to everybody to celebrate sort of like how good a an industry mortgages is and how good a profession mortgage advice is for everybody from whatever their backgrounds. Shall we move on to a topic that we are only going to be touching on, and I think we're going to be touching on it a lot over the year, and that is the phrased word woke and what that means to people and how in some places it's actually being weaponized against the whole idea of diversity and inclusivity and equity and fairness. So the definition that I sort of most resonate with for woke is to be aware of and actively attentive and alert to important societal facts and issues, especially those of a racial, prejudicial and social injustice nature. Now, are you both happy with that as a working definition of woke? Yeah, that is. That's fine for me, definitely. Yeah. Okay, and that is now being often used in a disapproving and sometimes hostile way by people who think that people are, are too easily upset by issues of history and issues of their past or talk too much about them or want to change too much that doesn't need changing. So I'd just like your opinion on, is that how you feel? Do you think woke is being weaponized against people from underrepresented groups? Or what can we do about it? Yeah, I do. I think the word woke has definitely been politicized. It's very emotive in my eyes. And I really do believe you need a whole podcast to discuss this. And really with people on both sides of the opinion as well. I mean, sadly, it appears to be used as a put down for when talking about social justice or people just looking for an extra life. And I think if that was me and someone saying to me that you're woke if I had an opinion, I wouldn't take kindly to it, to be honest with you, because all it is is me looking for, I think, social justice for people, really. That is it. And being treating people fairly. I mean, it's interesting because if somebody calls me woke, I sort of feel quite proud of being a woke person, an aware person, etc. And I positively push back and say, well, what do you mean? That's not a bad thing. Right, you know, so if somebody says, oh, that's a great pass, you don't say, ooh, is it a pass? I don't know. What do you think, Dina? Do you think it's turned from something good to something that's been weaponized against people? I sit on the fence on this one, to be honest, because it's all about context. I've personally never been told or been called woke as such. Uh, I feel that we all have a duty to understand our past. And I, I think it's about knowledge. I think it is about sharing people's history. And actually, 
allowing people to understand where it comes from. And it is about, like you said, facts and issues that have affected racial and prejudice, which affect the whole community at large. Yes, you're always going to get people who are going to be taking it to the next level. But I don't know what to say, Barra. I, I, I just think that this is the challenge that we're going to face ongoingly. And I, and I think over the years, things have got better, but we can't forget the past either because that's the intergenerational change that is always going to be there. Yeah, I agree with both of you. Richard, what do you think that the role of DIFF and the initiatives that Amy and Imla and people like that uh, are undergoing, how should they be approaching this idea of awareness of social, historical social injustice, historical prejudice? That seems to annoy people from different and more very small-minded view. I think both DIFF and Amy have look to kind of lead on this and i think the diversity report that came out from amy showed that there is positive change wanted by the majority of people who actually responded and i think we have to look and see where we were say three years ago 2019 to 20 to where we are now we have improved and i think it's for every ceo and md and an individual person to judge what they're doing now themselves so I think you can only speak, definitely speak for the company you work for and also what you're actually doing yourself and how you treat people. And I think we just need, I think, more leadership again from Diff and Amy on this and for them to actually lead the change. But them leading the change, it needs to come from the top of every company as well. I agree. Um, there are some great leaders out there doing things. You know, Bob Hunt is one, Michelle Galanska is another, Ali Crosley, Esther. So I do think, yes, Winning the hearts and minds of leadership in our industry is important. I think we're well on the way to that. If we could just finish with just a few tips for young people that are thinking of coming to this industry, what would you say? Who should they speak to? How would they start or want to get on? So I think if you were looking to get into financial services, it needs to start from the schools really, doesn't it? So I actually do believe that at the schools, when you're going for like recruiting and all the rest of it, I don't think there's enough people there actually suggesting financial services, particularly as mortgage advisors or protection advisors, as an opportunity. It's a fantastic way of doing it. And I think for us as an industry, we need to get out to the schools more and doing things. I know individuals are already out there talking at schools and telling them about what they do, but it needs more than that. It actually needs an industry-led initiative, in my opinion, to get into the schools, get into the universities and get them to see uh, financial services as a career path rather than people falling into it. I mean, I think when I look at myself, I, for some strange reason, I, I always wanted to be in financial services. I always wanted to be a bank manager at the time when I first started. And I think the key thing, it was considered one of those respectable jobs. But I actually think we, we need our industry to do something about it. And we need probably the recruitment companies that we work with to find out if they're going into these areas and actually doing things. Because if we can get them to do that for us, that would really work. And I think individuals as well, showing that people who have got on, whether they be female or colour, showing that the actual positions they've actually reached, but also showing them that those positions they reached didn't come overnight. It was a struggle. It was a battle. And that is the way to do it. But graduate and apprentice campaigns as well will be the other way we can recruit people. 
And Dina, I know that you're very active in going out into the community and proselytising about the job you have, the work you do, the opportunities are out there. What's that like? What kind of feedback do you get when you do that? It's interesting speaking to the younger children. I've gone back to my schools and, and doing a lot of, on the charity front, I talk, people ask me what I do. And there's still this, you know, finances, numbers, and only if you're good at numbers do you fall into anything to do with finance. And that is not the case. You know, you can have multiple different types of careers in our industry. You know, if you're good at social media, if you're good at writing, you can go into journalism. There's, there's so many opportunities in this industry. And I think we've cocooned it into just, you know, numbers. And I think until that changes in, in the way we present our industry to the, the younger generation, it's only then that they're going to see it as a fun industry because they don't see it as fun. It is interesting. We what we, we do, that's a, such a key point. We need to move that perception from it's a numbers-based industry to it's a people-based industry. And you've got to be good with, being good with people is the key skill. The numbers, machine can do the numbers for you. The majority of jobs is just relationships and people. It's so important. Can you talk to someone? How do you talk to someone? I think that's what's not necessarily taught in the education system. And it's that confidence building, that relationship, that rapport. Unfortunately, it's all about results and targets and, you know, attendance and things like that at school nowadays. So there needs to be a shift. There needs to be a big shift. That gives me an enormous amount of hope. And I'm personally very, very proud that DIFF has actually given two amazing people an opportunity to feel that they've had their voices heard be able to give their opinion and actually make a positive change for all the industry. And indeed, probably if we make a change in our industry, we're actually making a positive change to everybody out there who's actually buying a house, which is a lot of people. And we are in the business of fulfilling people's dreams and ambitions rather than just giving them financial advice. So thank you both. And I hope to see you as part of DIFF on a regular basis until the end of time. And thank you for listening, everybody. See you next time. Cheers. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.